Lord, I just ask that as you uh, open this word with me today, that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and perfect to you. And thank you, Lord, for giving us your spirit to do that. In Christ's precious name, amen. I want to preface this talk today with a comment, um, because as I prepared for this this past week, um, this passage is really weighty. And it easily convicts the best of us. It convicted me. And I want you to know that no persons were intended to be harmed by the preparing of this message, (laughs) okay? (laughs) I did not think about any of you while I was in the midst of preparing it, but rather I just saw how deeply it spoke to so many of us in so many different ways. I think you will find yourself in it. I, in fact, I'm sure you're going to find yourself somewhere in it. And it's my desire that you do look for yourself in it. But just know, it wasn't wasn't supposed to be about you, specifically. Um, We are going to read from the book of Mark, chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be reading chapters, or verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priest and the scribe were seeking how to seize him by stealth. And kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you whenever you wish. You can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this, and they promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. The word of the Lord for the people of God. So today is Wednesday. If you remember from last week, Laura talked about Tuesday, and on Tuesday um, he had come into the temple, he had overturned the tables, the fig tree was cursed and had withered, and today is now Wednesday. Now, I want you to kind of set this stage for you because this actually, this passage is like a drama, and we're going to be talking about the different characters in the drama. But during this setting of the stage, you need to remember that this is the Passover, and so there are preparations going on for this Passover meal. Now, I want you to think of your own Thanksgiving. Do you kind of just wait until Thursday and then boom, oh, five o'clock, got to put the turkey in, time to eat? No, you don't. It's not an ordinary day. You're actually planning, you're preparing, you're cleaning, you're getting the house ready for guests, you're buying meal 
ingredients. You're doing a lot of things. Similar things happened on feast days. <clears throat> the feast was held on the 14th of Nisan, and preparations included something that I would hate to have to do. They cleaned the entire house, not just a little bit of the house, but every single corner of every part of the house to remove any leaven from the house. They even cleaned the books from which they'd read. And then they would pour boiling water on their countertops at any surface that would come in contact with the meal. It had to be spotless. It had to be perfectly clean with no leaven. Then on the 10th of the month, they would go out and they'd procure their lamb. And it had to be a spotless, blemishless lamb. They could either buy it or they could pick it from their flock. And they'd hang on to that lamb for the few days before the twilight of the 14th when they'd kill the lamb. They'd put its blood on the doorpost. They'd eat the entire lamb. And if anything was left over, it would be burnt, consumed, and not left till morning. And then for the next seven days, they would offer up an ola, or burnt offering, every single day, and eat only unleavened bread. So that's a little bit of planning that went involved with this Passover. And they were busy in their planning. But the most important thing about this meal was its location. In Deuteronomy 16, the Lord had instructed the meal occur in the place where he established his name. And that, my friends, was Jerusalem. It was a place where the presence of the Lord had rested. This place was in fact, very important. In fact, it was so important that later, like earlier, when the kingdom had divided after David and Solomon's reign, Jeroboam, Jeroboam had gone up to the north, and he had set up separate altars in Bethel and Dan so that the northern Israelites would not come to those bad southern Israelites. He wanted to keep them away from Jerusalem. But the Lord didn't want a separate place, and his anger burned against the north, and the north was eventually captured. Place was important. So in this city, Jerusalem, all of Israel from all the surrounding areas was converging to this one place. And the city had tripled in size, kind of like south by southwest. Uh, so many of the people from Galilee and the areas where Jesus had been preaching had come into town. Now this guy, Jesus, was popular. He was pretty popular. And... Uh, now that he was in town as well, there was a, a group that was kind of fearing how they were going to do what they wanted to do. And let me explain. Um, over here, stage right, there's a group of guys called the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And they had been and had seen what had happened in the temple the day before, and Jesus was messing with their religious system. Now, they had their rituals, their processes, their plans. They'd taken the Ten Commandments and all the laws, and they had put even stronger fences around them so that nobody could mess up. And here he was. He comes in, and he's doing something a little different than what they had determined to be the right way. He was dangerous to their little secure system. And if the Romans had gotten wind of what this guy was doing, he was afraid of and kind of tumbling down on the Israelites, or they were afraid. <clears throat> so they wanted to preserve Israel, and this guy was kind of making a mess. So that he had to be, 
he had to be done with. He had to be, something had to be done with him. And they had already decided in their hearts, it wasn't a question of when, but when should something happen to Jesus. It's ironic, isn't it, that while the Passover preparation's going on, the Passover lamb's entering Jerusalem. And it's ironic, isn't it, that the Lord of Lords would mess up the religious practice he established. The Sanhedrin had been so focused on man's view of God that they missed what God was actually doing. And so when he cleansed out the merchants from the court of the Gentiles, it sealed his fate. So they're meeting over here in Caiaphas's court. That's reported by Matthew. And they were plotting on how to deal with them, how to take them by stealth. Okay, so stealth really is in the Bible, I promise. And they knew there were so many Galileans in town that it had to be done in secret because it, otherwise it's going to cause an uproar because Jesus was really popular. They who desired nothing more than the praise of men dreaded nothing more than the rage and displeasure of men. So how they took him down was a pretty big deal. They could not do it during the festival. And now they're plotting murder. Now I want you to think about this with me for a second. Jesus had not committed a sin. And here you have the holiest representatives of the Jewish race about to break one of the Ten Commandments and murder Christ. They were about to commit the sin of murder. Isn't it funny that the very thing they were trying to protect was originally the plan of God? but had instead become a plan based on men's affection. God was no longer in it. Jesus had said, it's done. Christ knew the fruit was barren. The fig tree had been cursed. So now we move to center stage. And in, in the center stage, Jesus and his disciples had withdrawn to Bethany. That's about two to three miles away from Jerusalem, a city on the ridge of the Mount of Olives. And he's at the house of Simon the leper. Now also in this house is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you probably remember the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, one of the only times you hear of Jesus weeping. You also hear of Mary and Martha and how you know, Martha was in the kitchen cooking away for that, another dinner, not this feast, but another dinner. And Mary's there at Jesus' feet. And she's, Martha goes and says, Jesus, why don't you tell her to come help me? And he says, she's doing a good thing. We're going to come back to that. So as Jesus is reclining at the meal, on a, stretched out like on a couch that abuts a table, not like we think of a couch, like for a Sunday nap, or, but more so like a couch that kind of is cushions around a table, <clears throat> a woman comes, and Mark doesn't name who this woman is, but John identifies her as Mary, the Mary we just spoke of. And she walks in carrying a veined, translucent alabaster jar containing spikenard. Now, I know this is a little complicated, so stay with me. Spikenard is a fragrant oil that comes from the Himalaya East Indian mountains, about 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem, in the foothills that, are, that 
plant only grows in the 3,000 to 5,000 foot range. Very rare, very precious. And in those days, fragrant oils were used like investments. They would be held in, in canisters and they would be sold and bought. And likely, this is her dowry. This is the, her, it's worth a year's wages. It's a hundred times more costly than Chanel number no. five. This was her dowry, her investment. Women brought gifts like this to a marriage. Unwittingly, she brings it to the church's bridegroom. Mary says nothing. Culturally, women were not distinguished in front of men. They served men, but they didn't speak. In fact, women were often excluded from events like this. But if you remember, Mary has been sitting at his feet. She has been listening to his every word. She has been following him. Jesus had other women that also followed him, and even some that helped to fund the mission. So she walks in. She had taken to heart that he was going to die. She had listened because he had by this time three times predicted his death. And she had taken it to heart. And she knew he was not going to be there much longer. So she walks in, and she breaks this face. Now, she doesn't uncork it and drizzle it out. She breaks it. And she pours the entire pint of nard on his head, and it washes from his head down to his feet. Every single ounce. She doesn't hold a single bit of it back. She gives him everything. It's shocking. It's scandalous. Imagine the reaction in the room. Imagine the smell of that strong perfume in that room. <clears throat> now, over here, stage left, some of the disciples start to scold her. John tells us that the leading uh, disciple of this grumbling against her is Judas. Now Judas points out this is wasteful extravagance. You just gave all of this, just poured it on him, and it's money that we could have sold this perfume and given it to the poor. $300 worth, 300 denarii worth. Passover was typically a time when rabbis would give alms to the poor. So Judas, you know, he might have had a little bit of a point. Maybe not. He kept the money bag. He was concerned about the budget. He was concerned about the use of resources, and she was not being a good steward of the funds. She was wasting her gift on Jesus alone. How did Jesus see it? He stopped them. He said, let her alone. Don't trouble her. She's done a good thing to me. She's not done another good thing to him. He quotes Deuteronomy 15.11. said, the, the, there will be poor among you to whom you should open your hand, but I will be with you for just a little while longer. Jesus knew he was leaving. Mary knew he was leaving. The disciples, they're in the room, but they still didn't get it. Only one had very briefly stated, you are the Christ, Peter. But the rest of them still did not see him for who he was. Their hearts were still hard. 
but she got it. She'd been spending time at his feet. She knew his voice. She knew what was going to happen. And she may not have understood his purposes, but she knew. She knew he was really leaving. And Jesus then adds an amazing statement. She has anointed my body for burial. Spikenard was used to prepare bodies for burial. So he continues and he says this one act would be spoken of wherever the gospels preached throughout the world. This foreshadows his coming death, resurrection, and the good news that was going to come from that. And guess what? We're doing exactly what he said today, right now. We are speaking about the woman who did this incredible act. There is one more part to this scene. Besides the fact that you have the disciples who are really not quite getting it, you've got Judas who starts the kind of rambling and the rousing up of the disciples. He gets kind of frustrated at the way things are going, and he decides he's going to cash out. He wanted Jesus to be the revolutionary king who would come in, restore Israel, and when he did, him being a part of that group that was part of it would get fame and power and wealth. The mission, he thought, was to take Jerusalem and to restore Israel. But let me just say to you, not all good ideas are God ideas. Wealth and fame and power was not going to be what Judas saw. Jesus was now talking nonsense about dying. What kind of revolutionary dies? So Jesus Judas had to do something. He switched horses. He was thinking that he was cooked up to the wrong horse, and his cart needed to go somewhere else. So he goes to the chief priests, and he suggests arresting Jesus when no crowd is present. He plays right into their hands, right into their plans. And so together, they're now seeking an opportune time, an opportune time to stop God in his tracks, to thwart his purpose so the plans of man can move forward. And for his effort, he's offered 30 pieces of silver. So I want you to think now. I want you to think. Look at the contrast in the room, in the area, on that day, on that night. Who do you most identify with? Are you like the Sanhedrin? Do you have trouble seeing past religion to see what God's doing in your midst? Do you focus on rules and regulations and induced fences by men instead of God's intention for you to love him deeply? To love our neighbors, to join him in ministry to the world? Is your importance threatened by God's plan? Do you want to be in control? The irony is that they played out God's ultimate plan regardless. But he used them in a role that will forever cast them in a negative light instead of a positive one. The very thing they sought to preserve, they failed to keep because of how they treated the king. What about you? Are you more focused on how things are done than what God's doing in your midst? Or are you like the disciples? You started out well, and now you're just kind of not really seeing him for who he is. A little boy one time kept falling out of bed, and his mom said, why do you think you fall out of bed? He says, I don't know. Maybe I got too close to where I just got in. Maybe I stayed too close to where I got in. Are you staying too close to where you got in? Or are you like Judas? 
Are you sold out to your pet mission? You've, you're concerned about your cause. You're asking God to do what you want him to instead of seeing what he's doing and joining him. And when he doesn't do what you want him to do, you say, hey, what's up with that? How come you're not doing what I want you to do? Good ideas are not always God ideas. So you deregulate his importance. You're more willing to cash in or check out. And because your shadow mission isn't being met, you put him on a less important place, in a less important place. Or are you merry? Love and loyalty. Her worship was not about what she got from it. It was about what she brought to him. The ugliness of their sin makes the beauty of her gift all the more important. She's sold out to him. She has given him everything. Everything. She's unashamed to show her love openly. She has risked her reputation. She has risked her future. She has given, given lavishly and lovingly. Has your worship been offered up like fragrant perfume to the Lord? Or are you this morning going through rote motion so you can get on with your day and set Jesus back on the Sunday shelf? Mary had it right. What are you bringing to the Lord today? What is your spikenard, your treasure? He deserves all you have. We're going to enter a time of worship. And as we prepare for that, I just want to pray that you would give him your all during that worship. Dear Lord, you are of infinite worth. And nothing we have is worth all you are. And yet, Lord, we want and desire to offer up to you our worship. In your precious name, amen.